This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. We're in Grand Rapids, Michigan again for this week's episode. And joining me is Edwin Colazzo. Is it Colazzo or Colazzo? It's Goyasso. Goyasso. And then, uh, but I live in West Michigan, so it's Colazzo. (laughs) Or Van Colazzo. (laughs) Well, what's the the history of that name? Uh, uh, Both my parents are Puerto Rican. Uh, I was born in Ohio. Yeah. They weren't uh, born in Ohio. Um, So it's Puerto Rican, Spanish. It actually means Milk Brothers. Milk Brothers. So you know what a Milk Brother is? No. Uh, Milk Brother is... Uh, typically royalty had like a, like a midwife. Yeah. And so the midwife had a baby, they had a baby and she feeds both babies. Those two babies are milk brothers. Okay. And so. Well, all right. It's yeah. I've not heard that story before. I, I imagine that's just the one my dad chose to tell. Yeah. Cause it's funny. <laughs> okay. So that's, that's where I got it. Well, we're at city bill brewery. Uh, here in Grand Rapids. And, uh, you know, as I was doing some research for this trip, uh, uh, you guys got recommended as, uh, as focusing on progressive styles. And that's exactly what you do. You are, uh, you know, pushing the envelope up here with uh, flavor forward beers across the spectrum, sour, stout, hazy IPA. And now you're even making lager beers, uh, you know, and, and doing yes. that kind of thing too. We did add, we added two lager tanks last year, yeah, which are full, which is great. Nice, nice. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about all of those approaches, but first, for years, GD Chillers has chilled the beers you love, partnering with 3,000 plus breweries across the country. They are proud of the cool partnerships they've built over the past 30 years. They know brewing doesn't stop at five o'clock, and nor do they. GD uses quality components expert craftsmanship, and constant innovation. With 24-7 service and support, your brewery will never stop. Remote monitor your chiller for simple and fast access to all the information you need, providing you with a peace of mind your operation is running smoothly. Reach out for a quote today at gdchillers.com or call to discuss your next project. Also, this episode is brought to you by BSG, distributors of TNS Hop Oils. Looking for a way to save on freight, reduce waste, all while improving beer quality? Then change your brewing game with TNS Hop Oils. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how TNS Hop Oils can make your beer and your margins better. And before we start, I want to thank Experience Grand Rapids for making this trip possible. To plan your own beer trip to Grand Rapids, start at experiencegr.com. So Edwin, we normally start this, we start this off with uh, some background and history. Talk to me about your your beer history. You know, w- w- Was there an aha moment with craft beer and then... Uh, what led you down the path to starting a brewery? Um, so my education is in education. So I taught for eight years. Uh, I was a PE and health teacher. I also had another degree in child development. So I taught psychology and some other ancillary classes in high school. Uh, last three years of teaching was in a prison, which was not what you think. It was pretty easy. I read lots of books, didn't teach very much. I was a facilitator. Uh, and then moved into financial advising or financial industry uh, with Northwestern Mutual. And while I was there, uh, my business was working with other business owners. And uh, my job was to hear about their stuff, you know, their 
their issues as business owners and how I could help them protect and create financial security for their businesses. But in that, I really enjoyed the conversations with the people I was with and realized uh, I didn't want to be chase, chasing these guys. I wanted to be like these guys. <laughs> sure, sure. And so I started to look for a business to buy um, or contribute to or get involved in and uh, just was not passionate about helping people create sure. financial security. And uh, all along the way, uh, my son is 19. So when he was one, I started home brewing. And uh, through that, got to meet a lot of cool people uh, and learn different brewing techniques from what eventually became one of my partners. He was my neighbor. He's who taught me how to homebrew. I really wanted to take beer for Memorial Day to some friend, like just to go hang out sure. and party. So uh, my first homebrew was... Uh, um, Oh shit! I forgot the name of the beer from from England, uh, Newcastle Brown, yeah. and then uh, second was just like an IPA. It's, the first one was good. Second one kind of sucked. But so, I, you know, with time I got better. Um, Dave was looking to raise money. He had a partner who had decided to make some changes in his life, left the state, so there was an opportunity to partner with him. I had been basically sharing ideas, hoping that people believed him and wrote a check for yeah, seven years sure. be before that. And so essentially I was like, Hey, I, I think I can raise money. Yeah. And so, uh, can I be your partner? <laughs> You've just been interfacing with a whole bunch of people trying to find things to do with their money. And so, yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, he said yes. And so then I walked into what was probably my biggest client's office and was like, Hey, um, meet your new financial advisor. You already know him because he comes with me in these office meet meetings. And uh, uh, he's kind of looked at me puzzledly, you know, why? And I'm like, hey, I'm about to step outside of my role and break the rules. I know everything about you. And you have a bunch of money to sit in an account. And I think I can find a place for it. Shared the idea and he agreed. So I raised like half of their goal in, in like 30 days. I you know, normally when we do this history, I hear about how somebody was an engineer and this is their second career is home brewing. Yeah. This is actually the most interesting way to come at it from uh, a financial advisor who can actually, who actually does have access to, you know, potential clients that would be perfect for investing and helping support a brewery. I mean, it's actually kind of genius. May, uh, yes. May, I mean, thank you. I don't, you know, like, uh, that was the cards I had. Sure. So I just sure. played my card, you know, I played yeah, yeah, my yeah. cards. I really was trying to buy this, this company called Workhorse Irons and they mm. do tattoo. They make tattoo rigs. Yeah. Uh, ink and needles. And so I met a really good friend now cause I was trying to buy his business and it just didn't work. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, but through that process, I was like, yeah, I, th I think I can, cause for that I raised like 400 grand pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I didn't want that money is what I learned. It was not good for long-term, sure, not a good sure. idea. And so, um, so that's, yeah. So I had also been involved in a Facebook group, oddly enough, called Hopheads out of San Diego. And everyone in this group were in the industry. Yeah. So I just was, as a voyeur, was watching what they were doing out West yeah. and seeing how different it was from what we were doing in West Michigan or what was being done in West Michigan at the time. What, what round one year were this? Or what time frame are we talking about? Man, I, uh, 10 years ago? Yeah. Probably. Like 2012, 2013, somewhere yeah. in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like they were, you know, I, I got to be in that group because I was not in the industry. Right. I believe because I was a Michigan guy willing to send beer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, sure, and, sure. And, and my friend who got me in the group 
uh, he wasn't in the industry, but he was a huge beer guy. Uh, yeah. His name's Dan Miller. He works for Alliance Beverage now. But neither one of us were part of this elite group of brewery people. Sure, sure. And uh, longingly looked and wanted to be in the industry, I think. And so uh, I got a lot of the ideas from listening to and watching what they were posting. And, yeah. you know, and so we raised this money and started, I started to really look at the business plan. I'm like, this is not a good plan. We kind of mm. worked backwards. So we had money and then realized this isn't near enough money and the idea isn't big enough. So two barrel brew house with what kind of felt like founder's original plan, you know, peanuts on the ground. Right. Kind of not a whole, they weren't a hole in the wall because they're actually in this neighborhood mm -hmm. before they moved to where they're at now. Uh, and um, I just felt like we needed to think bigger. And so uh, two barrel became a 10 barrel. Uh, no food became uh, a Puerto Rican inspired full kitchen, uh, which is funny because literally on Tuesday, that menu will be dead and our new menu will start. And so we have been doing this test kitchen since COVID or pop-up ghost kitchen. Yeah, It depends on where you were in COVID. Like it was a ghost kitchen during COVID. Ours was was open just kind of after it wasn't a big deal and people could come inside again. Yeah. So we call it a pop-up. Yeah. Uh, but we've been testing this menu for two and a half years. Uh, it was a, something that we'd serve one Creole dish Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or until it ran out. Yeah. And we ran out every weekend for two and a half years. And so we're like, maybe we should think about running our kitchen in a way that's maybe a little bit less labor intensive, especially with our, what we're experiencing now. Sure. Uh, we need less people to do more things. And so having a different menu would, would make that, uh, give us that ability to save money, but also provide something that we really were excited about. Our, our chef is more excited to do that type of style of food. Yeah. We really taught him how to do our food, Puerto Rican food. Uh, but we're seeing, and we're, we aren't really Puerto Rican. We're sort of Rican. Sort of Rican. Sort of Rican, because we have tacos in our menu, and Puerto yeah. Ricans do not eat tacos. <laughs> like, I mean, they might go to Taco Bell or whatever and have a taco, but sure. like, that is not part of our main food right, group. Right. So, um, so yeah, so uh, he's excited. So we're excited about these changes happening. Sure. But this this idea to do food uh, was outside of the original idea, and so what started it out as a five or six hundred thousand dollar brewery idea actually grew into a $1.5 million idea. <laughs> and so I raised, sure. I raised about $1.7 million to, to get started. Um, we only borrowed 150 grand from the bank. Wow. Uh, we are now looking to borrow way more money. So if you're a banker looking, <laughs> you should hit up city built because, uh, we're looking to consolidate some loans and get some help and grow. But, uh, I'm sure there's some bankers out there that'll hear that I, and uh, reach out to you. I know yeah. a few who probably would. Edwin at citybuildbrewing.com. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, uh, so we're, you know, we're just at a different place in our business, but that's, sure. that was a great start. Um, we had some bad advisors around us mm. in the beginning. Um, and as a formal advisor, like my advice is, man, you should put people around you that you trust and like you value their, you know, their information or value their opinion and, and let them because they help businesses. So, right. so I thought I had that, uh, in the end I've learned uh, they all learned how to do their jobs on my job. Uh, we had very bad uh, accounting advice, very bad legal advice, and uh, our builder uh, didn't do what he should do. Yikes. And so we were supposed to open in 2016 in June. Uh, we did not open until May of 2017. Wow. And so, and, and that's, I mean, that's a whole 
podcast. Like that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yes. Because I mean, it, it got to a point where, like I can't really legally say all the details. Yeah. However, yeah. um, man, everyone thinks that brewers just print money because, you know, you get a great return on the tap, you know, and the, the reality is just, it's, uh, the reality is you were probably spending, you know, 24 months plus working, getting this up and running when you had no revenue coming in. That's right. And it was all going out. And that's a lot of money to spend with nothing coming in for a long amount of time. That's correct. And, uh, you know, and then you got nervous investors that you have to manage because you're spending everybody's money. Yeah. And uh, the amount of pressure is huge. And then you open up and you like, I hope this hits. Yeah. I hope it lands well, you know, so that we yes. can connect with people and make this thing actually work and get that revenue flowing. That's right. That's, that's exactly what happened. We opened up. It was nuts. It looked like we're winning. It looks like we're winning, I think still, but like, man, the weight of that start. Yeah. Had, I mean, we carry that a little bit today, but we're almost out of that. But then sure. you throw a pandemic in there and that kind of slows things down. Yeah. So, Six uh, years in now, and you, you're still feeling some of that weight. I think my investors are. Yeah. Right? Because, like, what should have been profitable years in the beginning, I mean, we we basically started $500,000 in the hole. Yeah. And so, first year, two hundred twenty-five grand ish loss. I mean, but really, it was just paying off stuff. Sure. And sure. then, second year is about two fifty, dollars And then, since then, a lot better experience. Right. And so, but, you know, to go back to your investors who saw you know, these other breweries open and, and yeah. make money or, or it looks like thought it. they were making. Yeah. Money. Yeah. And so their you know, their ability to endure the risk of a, making us bigger. Sure. Right. It's, it's iffy. And so some are w- on board, but you know, so they're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of wore out. Yeah. And so it's, which I get it. And so, uh, it's a common story. And I mean, I hear it all the time. I mean, even with our business, I mean, we had to, you know, borrow more money, uh, early on in our business to keep things, you know, because, yeah, we. I think everybody who goes into business has a little bit rosier uh, revenue projections than actually materialize, and uh, you know, and then you borrow some more money, and then uh, you know to kind of get through, and you you know you have an idea and this vision of how you're going to bridge through that, and you know, and then often it takes you. Know, it's it's really not a lie when they say you know five years is kind of. Uh, you know, five or seven years, even sometimes kind of that magic point where you've either, you're either going to make it or you're not going to make it. And you kind of know at that point. And right. I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Like, I mean, we've, you know, we've, we've done well to build it. I think a yeah. pretty strong brand. I think, sure. uh, and I think in our like brewer community, I think we have, uh, the respect of our peers. Yeah. Uh, so we have good thing, right. We have momentum. It was your uh, peers that recommended that we have this conversation right now. So, uh, yes, I agree with you on that. You told me the list and like that made me feel really good to be part of that list. So <laughs> those are those are really cool people uh, and talented uh, and have done just some neat things. So. So, yeah, like we're at a point where we're, we just grew. So we, yeah. we just grew our capacity by about 250 percent. So we have way more brewing space, yeah. uh, but in a very small space. Uh, so it's, you know, I think we're about the most inefficient brewery in town because <laughs> we don't have those fun things like a silo and, right. you know, uh, that makes uh, our grain cheaper and whatever. So, you know, we try to be as efficient as we can with the inefficiency in, that we exist in. Sure. sure. You know, so. 
Um, but let's talk about the beer program. And, uh, you know, I want to kind of talk about, like, you know, as part of, as you're planning this and you're looking for where, where the opportunity was and something that, uh, you know, you connect with coming out of a, a little bit of a, a geeky beer approach within, uh, you know, that kind of broader beer trading world of, of whatnot, you know, thinking about what you were going to make here at City Built to be a little bit different than some of the other breweries. Before we do that, AccuBrew is a new analytical tool unlike anything else on the market that gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. You can remotely monitor sugar conversion, temperature, and clarity to ensure consistency by quickly detecting out-of-range conditions. The AccuBrew system creates and stores permanent records so you can compare every batch. AccuBrew goes beyond a simple measurement tool. AccuBrew helps you monitor, document, and manage your fermentation process in real time. Also at ProBrew, they believe your brewery deserves equipment as unique as the drinks that you craft. That's why their solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer, not someone else's. From brewing to fermenting to carbonating and can filling, ProBrew's customizable equipment empowers breweries to expand operations at their own pace. For more information, visit www.probrew.com or email contact us at probrew.com to learn exactly how they can take your operations to the next level. ProBrew brew your beer. And if you hear Old Orchard mentioned in the brewing community, don't be surprised. The flavored craft juice concentrate blends from Old Orchard have shipped to over 46 states from right here in Beer City, USA. Their new brewing customers often mention discovering Old Orchard through the word of mouth recommendation of another brewer. To join the core of Old Orchard's brewing community, learn more at oldorchard.com slash brewer. And they are literally just up the road a few miles from from right here in uh, in uh, Grand Rapids. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about uh, you know you you you're building this plan. You want to create a beer identity for City Build, and uh, you want it to kind of stand out in a city that's known for beer because there are a lot of breweries around here. Uh, you know what was the what was the kind of fundamental idea, and how did you set about setting a you know a specific identity for City Build beer? So what we are today is very different from where we started. Um, when we first started, my partner was the head brewer and part of the, he was in charge of the brewery and his hope, dream and idea was to do um, beer centered around uh, like herbs. So we'd had like a green tea chamomile beer. We did like a blueberry basil sour we did you know things things like that we made a chaga stout which is actually it was really good yeah uh we just couldn't make it the same twice and so that was a problem and so uh we got it about at 2019 um i'm i was like hey this isn't exciting for me and i think we can do this but we should we didn't have a four ingredient non-adjunct ipa in two years and so, I mean, we it was good, but was it was it dipping into what people wanted? And I didn't, I don't think so. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, we're measuring like beers per person, right? Beers per visit, and I'm like, it's got to be better than this. And so, let's just make let's learn how to make a hazy IPA and do it. Yeah. And so, uh, and he wasn't fully on board with that huh. because it was so outside of what he really wanted to do. And I don't blame him. Sure. Uh, but after a while, he actually decided to leave. We hired a new brewer. I took over the brewery. I'm like, you're going to learn how to do this, and we're going to do collabs until we learn how to do it. And so uh, we were fortunate that breweries like Drafting Table and Ascension Brewing, who had great reputations, 
uh, they were early adapters and doing collabs with us. Okay. And, and willing to share information and insight. Um, Nick at homes. Yeah. Uh, he, he's awesome. Uh, he is did podcast with him uh, a while back. Uh, we just talked about smooge most of the time, but I'm, I'm sure that breaks his heart a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> but, and then smooge is killing it. It's awesome. So, yeah. uh, that said, you know, we had these really cool up and coming new school, I guess, sure, breweries sure. willing to share their ideas, willing to share their process. And so we started, I mean, COVID was a great way, like time for us to pivot. Everything stopped for a week. And then, and then all of a sudden we had, all right, what are we going to be now? And so I used to have conversations with other brewers in town. I'm like, after this, we could just be whatever we want. Yeah. Right. We, everyone's going to first lose this year, which I forget 2020 happened because, yeah. I mean, I worked every day, all the days, all the hours. Yeah. But I mean, most people, it's like you lose your time. And so this is our chance to be what we want. And so we started to, uh, uh, it started with uh, fi the Fibonacci series. So we did, uh, I wanted to see what it was like to boil beer for three, six, 12, and 24 hours. How's that look? What's the, you know, same grain bill, same turned out not to be the same yeast because you got to get it finished and this and that. But right. so um, we started to do that. And so three hour was a non-adjunct stout. Six hour was going to be coconut vanilla. 13 was going to be peanut butter. 21 was going to be like everything but the kitchen sink, you know, adjunct. And then let's see what happens. So then we get our art back from the artist and he tells a story. I love our the, the artist that we had that year. His name was Kyle DeGroff, DeGroff Designs. Uh, and he told us every time we get art, he'd apologize first. Sorry, I was thinking this. And then he'd tell why he was thinking that. And so he talked about numerology and he, as he described it, I'm reading it to my general manager and he's like, that's the Fibonacci sequence. And so we looked that up and we're like, Oh, why, why call it three, six, 12, 13, you know, three, six, 13, 12. It's let's call it three, five, 13, 21. And then it follows a series, it matches the art. We create this whole idea around the packaging. Yeah. And and really the names and, and what we decided to do was dictated by the artist. And like it crushed. It was it was great. Yeah. That was a beer that we were selling for thirty five dollars a four pack right at the close. So it released three weeks or in March. So two weeks after the thirteenth when we were closed down. And like we sold it all in like two days. And I'm like, oh, all in package, all to all, go. In, all in cans. Yeah. And so we thought this is a good idea. And then people started to complain. Well, it's that's good not that you had a canning line at that point then, man. I felt like a genius because <laughs> I, I was yeah. begging my partner. I was like, we have to do this. Yeah. We have to do this. And then we were we were using a mobile canning service yeah. before that. And it was so expensive. And so we went to get a loan. They're like, do you use a mobile service? I'm like, yeah. Do you have any paid receipts? Oh, yeah. Or invoices. Yeah. Oh, you're you qualify. Because if you can afford that, then you can afford half that. And now <laughs> sure, you have sure. access to the canning line whenever right. you want. So so, thank God we had a canning line. It's what served, do you guys can on? Uh, we can on a micro canner, which okay. is actually made right here in Greenville, Michigan. So cool. like 20 minutes down the road, north. Nice. Uh, they're right across the street from Cedar Springs Brewing. Ah, okay. And so... Uh, and they're, they pop up there this afternoon. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Uh, they uh, were very helpful in that process. They've been here like four times to help train us. Yeah. So every time I get a new brewer... You know, you'd think I'd learn. Anyway, so uh, that said, uh, yeah, they've been great partners. Right. And so, uh, so from there, then we went on and did the um, 
we did the crown series. So I was listening to run the jewels yeah. that, that moment in life. And it seemed to drive me to work and drive me home. Yeah. And, uh, there's a song called crown and there's these lyrics and in there, these lyrics are into the haze, into the murk, into the fray. And I'm like, that's a hazy IPA. In fact, those are double hazy IPA. <laughs> and so we made those and we really leaned hard into their IP. Yeah. You got, uh, you got into a little trouble on that. I got a little bit of trouble, but man, it did it make people start paying attention to city bill. It was wild. Uh, and, and it worked out amicably at the end, man. They were so gracious. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the best way to put it. They did it. call you out, but you guys ended up friends. Yes, they did. They, uh, Amici is their, 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 uh, manager and he's actually from Ann Arbor, yeah. which, which I think helped. Uh, and then their marketing person is actually the marketing person for Pipeworks. So right. she had a really good kind of reference for what like brewers, what they are. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, we're not, again, we're not just printing money. Sure. There's slim margins like everything else, especially when you start going into packaged product and yeah. into distribution. And so uh, she, I think, uh, on some level advocated for us. So, I mean, the, between the stouts and those, that hazy series, yeah. um, we started to think this, this is where we should, this is the direction we should go. Uh, and then started, we were already doing fruited sours. We just started to back sweeten them instead of ferment the fruit out. That's mm. literally the biggest difference. And people seem to like that. Uh, that, I mean, that was kind of the, the impetus and that was the change in 2020. Yeah. And so, and we had the time to do it because we were really having a hard time keeping up. We only had four 10 barrel fermenters. Yeah. And so try having mainstays with four 10 barrel from and new beer. Right. Right. And, and so, so uh, what's the creative process then look like? I mean, it sounds like you're very idea driven where, you know, you build, you come up with a good beer idea and then you build the, build the recipe and the, you know, design the beer around an idea, mm -hmm. you know, and it sounds like it comes to you as you're driving in the car, listening to music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where do you, that where, time. Do you, where do you go from that process? How do? what's the rest of that creative process look like for you? Well, I think at that time, I yeah. really, I really was trying to turn it around. Like I, what people thought about our beer yeah. and, I, and I wouldn't say it was negative. Sure. Right. I think they make good beer. Right. Yeah. But, I, and, but everyone talked about our great food and that just, pissed me off to yeah, the, and like, yeah. and it's my food. Like the, you know, the, the recipes they were using, my wife wrote. Yeah. And so there's a certain amount of pride that comes with that. However, I was trying to be a brewer, right. not a, not a restaurateur. Uh, turns out I'm a restaurateur and I brew very little. Yeah. Uh, we have great brewers, uh, that do that work. But, um, so the, the creative process at the time was really just like, how do we stick out? How do we, how do we stay relevant? Especially at a time where are people going to come? They're not even allowed to come. Yeah, uh, no, you gotta get a reason to go line up and or you know come you know order online and pick up a four pack or two four packs. Correct. Make the drive over here and do it all, which is you know like you're spurring on a lot of action there. It's got to feel like something good for that. Absolutely. You know because it's not like you're making enough beer to go put it in grocery stores where that were still open at the time. That's right. And and there's and there's a lot of great brewers. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. places to support that needed support, you know, like we all, we needed, we all needed the help and there's lots, there's lots of choices in Grand Rapids. And so, so that was, that was kind of the impetus for that. But now we have really creative, uh, talented brewers. Uh, Patrick Lynch is our head of brewing ops. He came from uh, Upland actually in July. Yeah. And then Nate I was talking to him before this. It's, yeah. Uh, 
and his wife is the you know does uh, it works in sales for shorts. And, she uh, doesn't. Yeah, she's the director, director of sales. Of sales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And so and she's, a funny she's dynamic awesome. there between uh, you know production and sales. Like uh, they're a power couple. That's yeah. They re- truly and, and as he was saying, they can't work. They can't work together because you can't have those conversations come home. But uh, that's right. As long as you're working for other people, then it all works out. <laughs> when I was talking about hiring him and interviewing and all that process, uh, I remember someone saying, "Oh, that's." That's Carrie's husband. Well, she married him. He must be good. And so, which says a lot about her. Sure. Right. And so, uh, and he, and, and, uh, and he is, he's amazing. And so uh, what he's done for us, uh, we, I think we were at a point we made good beer, but we would have argued that we uh, were good record keepers. But what he's proven is uh, we sucked at record keeping. Uh, At least we didn't do it consistently enough to really get better yeah and also make money and so he's he's added some expertise that's it's uh helped us endure a very slow uh winter uh and it seems like a change in in people's movements uh and set us up so as we get into our busier season like it's we have a really good handle on on what we're doing what it costs to do and what we should be charging Mm -hmm. uh our distributor uh which helps our distributor buy beer from us when he knows what to expect from us and so in M4, Mike and Megan Turf, they do an awesome job supporting us and getting our names out there. Uh, but uh, it's way easier for them now that I'm not the one doing the conversating. <laughs> uh, you got, you got, you, you're building out the, uh, the talent, uh, uh, you know, you got the, the, the people behind you that can actually, uh, you know, help execute on the ideas. What, well, so what does that creative process look like now then? Uh, so now it's as you all think about developing new beers, cause you're not, you are still making you know, these kind, you know, these more flavor forward beers and you're even adding lagers into the mix, especially taking advantage of kind of slow winter time, uh, uh, you know, stuff to, to keep lagers and tanks a little bit longer and, and work on that program. Yeah. We, we used to go, we used to do, uh, like a spunding valve. Yeah. And so we could, I mean, we turned a lager in like 19 days once, which I know every brewer who makes lagers like you, <laughs> so, but we did, and yeah. we had to because we had four fermenters. Sure. So sure. now we're actually lagering, yeah, which allows us to recapture and propagate yeast, right? And so uh, those extra tanks really do make a big difference in the quality because we can give them the time they need, yeah. Uh, and and you can tell, you know, sure. And so, sure. Uh, but it's a conversation. Uh, Nate is our lead brewer, and and he is young guy full of ideas yeah um actually patrick and carrie just had a baby uh in the last year uh baby nelson or nelson and so right (laughs) and so his next baby says is gonna be sabro no so uh (laughs) so baby nelson uh uh was born and while he was gone nate's like man we should do a low abv like sessionable west coast ipa with nelson southern hops and call it baby nelson and I was like, yeah, let's do that. And he's like, we actually have extra grain to do that. Let's do it. So we made it. I'm sure Nate probably talked to Patrick about the recipe and stuff like that. However, uh, Baby Nelson is now going to be a series. We uh, just brewed or brewing Baby Mo, which is Mosaic Hops, uh, Baby Sit, Citra, um, Baby Bro. I forget what that one is. Uh, but Sabro. Yes, thank you. It was Sabro. Uh, and so, but 
it's turned into this thing. But then the reason why we've done it is our conversation with our with uh, M4 is you can't have a mainstay cost X and expect me to sell it. So you need to develop a program where you can. And so now we're we're just looking at how we're brewing beer differently. So all right, we need we brewed beer. Or I think people weren't super excited oh, so about. You, you couldn't if that was a core brand. You just couldn't sell it for the cost that you need to to make it profitable. Correct. But if it rotates around and it's some sort of family brand like this, where it's always something new, then for whatever reason that helps. Customers are willing to pay a little bit more for something that might be you know, might not show up again just because it's this kind of one-off or part of this brand family. Correct. That's and, an interesting psychology of sales. Well, and but in that, volume helps. Like if, he, if we can get to a point yeah. where it, the volume will make sense. So we're, we're working towards that, and which this brand is, you know, it's less grain. We're, we're learning different ways to approach. Well, it's a, hazy, it's a clear beer, so it's a hazy, so instead of a hazy, less hops. So we're we're able to get to market now at a okay price, which is acceptable to our distributor, and so um, that's been that's been a huge part of our creative process now is really like how can we do this in a in a way that's efficient so that we can get to market and be more profitable. Yeah, um, because everybody makes hazy beer, uh, and there's a lot of good ones. Sure. And so how how's my hazy beer better than or you know, and like our cans are cool. Which these are all the basically most of these cans came out in 2020. Yeah, like all the art. I think there's like 30 or 40 new brands in 2020, and like 25 or 28 in 2021. And so 2022, uh, we were out of PPP money, so we stopped spending $500 a label. And, cans. <laughs> <laughs> and so now we're you know again a little bit different approach. Have a series now. As we're yeah. doing is changing the color of the label. You know, so our that first baby Nelson label. Uh, which is a killer West Coast, uh, you know, 5% IPA. Um, it was green. You know, we're doing the the Pink Boots Society. We're doing that beer with the Pink Boots blend. It's a pink can, you know. And so right. uh, we're we're making with uh, uh, Cryo Pop Pops. Mm -hmm. So Baby Pop. It's, you know, so like oh, yeah, they kind of, yeah. they kind of, the names kind of make the color or whatever. So, but we're able to take one piece of art and make it fit yeah. a bunch of different brands and not really changed a whole lot so sure and that's just helping to save money yeah you know but that i think that's I, i've today i had a conversation with patrick and i'm like what do you i don't even know what you're transferring before he showed up i was very engaged uh in what was going on because i felt like i needed to be yeah uh but now i'm i'm really not a big part of that conversation yeah where i would have i would have said before like well they're brewing what i tell them to brew i just don't tell them how to brew it yeah uh, and so did a lot of brewing during COVID, did a lot of brewing in 2021 mm -hmm. out of necessity. But now that, I mean, you know, now I'm kind of the warehouse bitch. Uh, we, we're, yeah. again, we're inefficient. Everything we package leaves yeah. this space and goes to our warehouse and then we order it back. Yeah. And so I'm the guy that does that. Wasn't well, that a sign of success when you end up managing people rather than doing it all yourself, right? I mean, you know, there's something to that. Anyway, I'll see if I can we can get some some brewing details out of you here. Just uh, sure, you know, we'll, uh, we'll we'll dig in and see what we can find. Before we do that, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's pilot brew house to the integrated hotbacks on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS Brewtech has taken technology they invented 
working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS Brewtech's innovation list, head on over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, 100% recycled, 100% recyclable, and reusable. Packtech handles are the sustainable solution to handle your craft beer. Packtech has been a leading producer of secondary packaging for the craft beer industry for over 30 years, and their handles are found across the globe. By fully embracing the principles of circular economy, Packtech helps customers meet their own ambitious, sustainable goals. 100% recycled, 100% recyclable, and reusable. Packtech is the sustainable packaging solution for your craft beer. Order free samples today. Call 541 461 5000. That's 541 461 5000. And Berkeley Yeast, the creators of Tropics Yeast, which produces massive notes of guava and passion fruit, now bring you Thiol Boost. Berkeley Yeast's Thiol Boost is pure liquid thiol precursors that take Tropics to the next level. Add it to the fermenter when you pitch the yeast and prepare yourself for tropical fruit nirvana. The concentration of precursors is the same in every batch of Thiol Boost, so you can predictably tune the level of tropical flavor by adjusting the dosage. Mention this podcast and get 15% off your next order. Berkeley Yeast, ordinary yeast made extraordinary. So yeah, let's talk about some of uh, some brewing details. We'll see what we can get out of you. I know you're not that far away from the brew house these days. Uh, sure. Even if you uh, you may take a more organizational uh, you know approach um, when you're brewing a five percent uh, you know West Coast style pale ale IPA whatever you want to call it uh, down there. Uh, you know how do you how do you how do they start building a recipe about this? You know, what uh, are, you know, do you think about it in language terms or do you think about like, how do you articulate what you want a beer, you know, to be? And then how do you start translating that into an actual recipe? Uh, I think I will talk about a beer I had. Sure. Right. And nuances of the beer that I, like, how did they get this? You know, like, especially when we were doing, like, the fruited sours. So it comes from context, other beers that you've tasted, and you start thinking about what they're doing in that one, and that becomes a jumping-off point. Yes. Okay. So, like, there's certain there's a, a couple of sour, fruited sours uh, that I've had, and I'm like, man, it tastes like candy, right? It's like, I taste the fruit, but it's like a candy fruit. It's not just, right, right blueberry, blackberry, whatever. How did they do that? And so we started to... Well, I would do this. I think this is how, you know, and so, yeah. and also conversation. Some people sure. are like open book. Right. Other people, not so much. But, uh, so we started to play with it and then we started to make them, you know? And so when we, when we talked about ba like the baby Nelson, it was really more about how do we honor Pat, Patrick and his wife, uh, and celebrate the fact they had this child, uh, and make something cool. And so, uh, we also, in that time, we started to look at what was in the tap room and what was happening. Like we allowed sales to kind of dictate that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we don't see people pulling the hazy handle as much as they used to. Really? People, I, th I think that people are missing clear beer. Clear. Even here in Michigan. Even here in Michigan. Huh. Clear, non-adjunct, four ingredient. Don't they know that that style is dead? I mean, <laughs> I thought, yeah, no. <laughs> we man, we made a brown beer, um, just in you know. An Bell finally releases Hazy Hearted, and yeah. now you're saying that it's going out of style. That's a big ship. Yeah, it's a big ship to turn towards Haze. Sure. Uh, so, um, so I think 
we let the taproom sale dictate what we want to make or what we should make. And then I and start that, to talk. To I know that sounds kind of crass, but I actually think that that makes a lot of sense from a brewery perspective because, you know, I mean, we think about it. We look at the numbers of what people download, what people read on our web- website. And like, you know, you can think, oh, we're just, you know, trying to like play to the crowd. But I mean, your business, that's exactly what you, you, I mean, if, if what you're making isn't connecting with people, then you're not doing it right, are you? I mean, you know, you can Correct. suffer for your art, but I mean, at the same time, like, you know, you want to make people happy and you want to make beer that, that is resonating with people and that they want to buy from you in a place and environment that they want to buy it from you. So it's not, you know, yeah, it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily crass when you look at it at that perspective and, Correct. you know, you want to respond to those things. So yeah, what, you know, what, what have you been seeing then around that? Well, I'll say this. I don't drink pastry stouts. I don't drink fruited I or you know, well, fruited I paysy, they don't drink that. But we make them. Yeah. And so we had this disconnect when we first started from what we wanted to drink. We had to disconnect between what we wanted to drink and what people wanted to drink. And like like you just said, you don't want to die for your for your art. Let's make what people want to drink so that we can pepper in the things that we like so we have something in the tap room that we can drink too. Right. Uh, and Man, 10 years ago, it was, you know, big bombers of 14%. Sure. You know what I mean? Coconut, vanilla, cocoa nib, all that crap. Now it's, uh, you know, a PBR and some whiskey. Like, you know, it's just, I'm also almost 50. Yeah. And so it just doesn't work with me as much like it did. And I'm here a lot and I'd be 400 pounds. Sure. Sure. And so uh, we're looking at what people want and making that, but also, it's got to be fun for us too. And so, you know, that's where loggers came in for us. Yeah. Uh, we're still doing uh, maybe towards pale, like we're adding hops and stuff and adjuncts to those, to those loggers. We just, I just showed you art for uh, yeah. uh, our uh, lager that we put corn in. And so, you know, those are the beers that we want to drink. And, and we really think that when you come in, you might have a skosh five ounce pour of, of a uh, five hour stout. You know, 10% coconut vanilla sticks to the glass, right? But you're probably going to get two pints of a light, easy drinking beer. And so, and that's different things to different people, but. It's such a funny dynamic like that. And I see that all the time. I mean, amongst beer, beer people, just beer nerds out there drinking, like, you know, there's that. You know, they're taking samples of high gravity beers and they're drink. They've got their sidecar of, of lager right next to it because you got to have something refreshing to cut through uh, all of that kind of mm-hmm. you know big flavor and sweetness. But uh, you know, it, we've actually been talking quite a bit this year about this interesting dynamic amongst consumer behavior in tap rooms, and that people are ordering more and more lower lower gravity beers in the tap room on draft yeah and they're buying more high gravity beer to go and drink at home Home. yeah and it's changing you know normally you can come up you know i mean years past you might have had a pretty consistent like we're going to put this much into draft we're going to put this much into package you know across the the lineup you know for a brewery this size but now you know, you've got to change that dynamic where if you're brewing a lager, you want that much more for draft in the tap room and you don't need to package that much versus the double IPA that you're just going to sell little tasters of in the tap room, yeah. but you're going to sell much more in package. And so, you know, it's changing the way the brewers have to think about the format and the occasions that people have for drinking a lot of these beers. I, I would agree hundred percent. And, and, 
I'm trying to be a masterful business person. And, and so in that I'm reading trends and talking to folks like you and, and hearing a lot of people echo the same sentiment, which is everyone wants to just drink low ABV beer. I, I can remember again, like five, 10 years ago, there were breweries that bragged none of their beer was under 6% where now you have archival up the road. Like all their beers are under 6%. I mean, yeah. There might be one or two, but, but I mean, they're making really uh, traditional European style beer and it's really good. Uh, I've joked with them. I was like, Hey, when you want to make money, let's make a hazy beer together. <laughs> and they're like, you know, F off, but like, you know, but like they're sticking to their guns and they're doing it, Yeah, which is really cool. Uh, I respect that a ton. Um, I've been chasing sales for six years cause I've had to on a certain level. Yeah. Um, and like, man, we are so much better today than we were even a year ago in terms of what we have in ter- of a team. Yeah. And so like, I'm excited about the next year. Um, but we just hang out and talk about what, what sounds fun. Sure. You know, it, it should be fun. And on a 10 barrel system here, you can take some risks, you know, Absolutely. you can, you know, you, there are some things you can you know do multiple turns of and push out there and in a bigger kind of way, but you can also make something that can, you know, hang out in the tap room for a little while and, uh, you know, never needs to go beyond that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Explore some of these ideas. So if we want to be in the market, so that's a different approach, you know, like we talked about getting to that price point. So yeah. we're, we're, we're looking at how we're making the beer and how can we meet that price point. And so, and we just did it with Prague underground. And so we just sent 20 barrels of Prague into the market, which is the most we've sent at any one time. Yeah. Uh, and great. And it's awesome. Uh, it, the packaging's cool. We've been developing this brand since it won a best label a couple of years ago, USA Today. And like, but we couldn't, like we won and they were like, yeah, we can't make that beer <laughs> because it's, you know, it takes too long at all these things. So now we're in a position where we can take advantage of this really cool accolade, which is really a bunch of people online voting. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Yeah. Except for people care enough to vote. Uh, and, uh, and we're sending enough in volume to make sense, that make that price point. Right. And then same thing that dictated the baby series. Uh, which the cans are going to have like a dad joke on it, which is kind of cool. So, uh, yeah, like that's dictating that because we know that we can get to market at the price point that we've been asked to hit. And so that will lead to hopefully more sales of that style. And when we're proud of that beer. Yeah. So, um, so that's, you know, that's kind of dictating right now what we're doing. Um, we've never had more beer on, on, in the tap room in terms of options. Like yeah. we have a pretty healthy list it's, and it's, very rounded i don't know and i think that that serves us um but where we started and how we made beer and where we're at completely different approach and when i the fibonacci you know all that stuff that was because i was forced to do it i was the only one that was really pushing uh the brand at the time yeah i mean we went we had like five employees uh i was a volunteer basically I wasn't yeah. paying myself and my brewer was like, please don't pay me. I'll just volunteer too. And so, cause of everything that was happening yeah. in the, in the world. And so, yeah. And so, uh, so I spent a lot of time thinking like how, you know, how do we stay relevant in a time where, and so Wait, that, did you lay, you laid yourself off then. It's, I don't <laughs> like, I didn't like have a formal conversation with myself, yeah. like no letters were written, but right. like, like I, I told my wife, like, I'm not going to be taking an income for a while. 
because I don't know what to expect. Yeah. But I mean, we had, we had other, you know, it was, sure. it was okay. So, yeah. uh, yeah, like how we did it and how we do it are very different. Uh, I was less open to other people's, uh, ideas through, uh, in 2020 and, and open book to ideas. Like I'm way open because I trust the people that we have back there right. to do a really good job. Um, and I trust that it's a good business decision that's leading what they're doing. Yeah. And so how do you communicate this? I mean, cause you know, you the, all you've cut the same or you have customers all along. Yes. And you know, you go through some changes that can look pretty significant, you know, from herbal inspired beers that, uh, you know, are all kind of quirky and uh, intentionally, you know, out of the mainstream to mm-hmm. then pivoting into, you know, hazy and sweet, you know, beers that are, you know, quite a bit different than that. And then now, of course, you know, moving into smaller hoppy beers and, you know, lagers. I mean, you know, these are a lot of a lot of transitions along the way. How do you communicate that with, uh, you know, the folks that are city-built customers? Social media. We yeah. Have, our social media lady is killing it. Uh, and so we use that in the tap room. I mean, we had a conversation in here yesterday about people are upset that when they order a particular beer, fluffy unicorn, that it comes in a can and they feel tricked if they all of a sudden grab a can and put off and then followed it up with, well, I would be upset. And I'm like, well, how are you saying it? Well, I tell them, well, it's going to be in a can. I was like, well, hold on. That sucks. You're right. You're that. Yeah, I don't want it. However, if you say, man, we brewed this beer and back sweetened it with a bunch of pineapple puree and pineapple concentrate. And if we put this in kegs, it separates. We got to shake the kegs every 30 minutes. This is the best way to deliver this beer out of this can because it's the exact amount of puree that we want and concentrate mixed in with the the IPA and vanilla and all your crap we put in there. So like that. Yeah. And he's like, oh. And so uh, especially recently, because I think uh, the times dictate it, uh, my mantra to our staff is like, stop being an order taker. Yeah. People don't. People don't remember an order taker. People remember someone who they encountered who's excited about X, whatever X is. Yeah. Don't you shouldn't be letting them tell you what they want. You should be telling them what they should be drinking, and then if they choose something else, give it to them. But they might buy them both. And so, and as a formal sales guy. Uh, I have lots of conversations with them about, you know, how we approach someone at the bar and I'm older than those, most of those people. And so there's a little disconnect, I think. And so there's gotta be room for discussion for what's comfortable for everybody. And I know, I know it's different than it was, you know, for me. And I tend to be on the, not aggressive, but forward. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's, that's, that's how I think that we should be communicating and we're, uh, creating uh, and adding and removing the staff that aren't okay with that idea. Uh, we want, if we're going to be here, our servers do well. And yeah. so if you're going to be here, then you're going to do it how I think we should do it. And you'll benefit. They make more money when they sell that way. You know, my wife is a cert, like my wife does everything here. Uh, her business card says Swiss army wife. Cause she, She's pretty, she has all <laughs> yeah. the tools. And so, but she really prefers to just be a server and, yeah. not, and not in charge. However, if you order a beer from her, 
you're drinking five hour or you're drinking, excuse me, Fifth Street Hooligans, which is her, one of her favorite. It's a hazy beer. Yeah. Uh, and so like, if you open the window, you're drinking that beer. Yeah. She's going to sell you that beer. And like, that's we, we tell her, just pick a beer you like, sell the crap out of it. Cause you're trying to create experience. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's kind of how our approach is. We rely on our staff to really share, you know, uh, our excitement. Patrick does a great job of uh, tooling, giving them the tools, mm -hmm. you know, when we release a beer, they get an email, it comes with a sheet, comes with all the details, three points to consider or talk about. And so we, we really arm, well, we try to arm them as yeah. best we can so that they can uh, explain, you know, why a beer is in a can and not in a keg. Mm -hmm. The reality was, is we had no tap handles to give that beer. And I was like, <laughs> let's just, let's just put it in sure, cans and sure. send a bunch into distribution and, you know, usually goes pretty quick. Yeah. And so I was like, let's just do it that way. <laughs> but it, it was going slow because they weren't selling it right. Yeah. You know, like you can't apologize how we do things. There was a time we had all like no clear IPA and it was a mistake. We just missed. Yeah. And there was like five hazy beers and everyone's complaining. And I'm like, why are you complaining about something that we can't fix tomorrow? How about like let's just say you have a good idea and we we brew a West Coast IPA, which we did, but you're not going to get that beer for three weeks or two and a half weeks. So if there's no room for it, it's going to wait. So how about you pick a hazy that you love and get rid of it, you know? And so <laughs> sure. And so that's kind of our that's kind of our way of handling that. Yeah. No, that's what you know, I've actually been thinking about it. I we went to Belgium last year, you know, so much beer is served in package in bars, you know, in cafes. And that's just a normal way. Draft is actually just less common. And mm -hmm. it's a very accepted way to, to serve beer in, in package. And, you know, America is tilted so draft heavy for whatever reason that we, we view that as fresher and better. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be, I, I was at, uh, the beer bar tourist in Brooklyn, uh, last year. And I mean, they had, you know, they had Kansas Suarez, uh, lagers in cans at the bar. And I was looking, I was like, you know, 16 ounces at that $10 a can is actually less than a lot of their draft beers right now. And like, yeah, it's actually a smart economic move to just buy the can. So I drink a few cans of Suarez lager right there. And uh, they make good beer. You know, oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, right. It, it, but it, it's all, you know, at the same time, you know, the, the, you know, beer servers there are all smart and engaged. 10 bucks for a can. That's why I guess New York. It's yeah, New York yeah, City. Yeah. yeah. My buddy owns a bar in New York and yeah, I guess I'm not yeah. surprised. Yeah. No, I mean the drafts were like twelve. So, you know. Wow. Uh for not for sixteen ounces either. Uh and Grand Rapids is mad, my beer is seven bucks. Hey, you know, <laughs> I lived in New York City for ten years. I you know, I get it. Like everything's more expensive, but you also get paid more. And so the whole economy shifts in a whole different direction. All works together. It's okay. It's, so if you can yeah. work remotely in Michigan with a New York salary, you're killing it. See, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but somehow the companies are onto that too. And they, uh, you everyone's know. going back. I can't wait yeah. for people to go back to their offices because our brewery is downtown. Yeah. And downtown used, I can, I can think of two different corners, intersections that screwed up my day yeah. every morning. Right. Not really, but like, you, sure. just, you know, why isn't this guy going or whatever, but there's so much traffic because people are going to work. Yeah. Uh, no more. You know, no, yeah. it's wild. And so I'm excited for uh, people to catch on that they're doing their laundry and hanging out. They're not on the computer all yeah. day. Yeah. 
Anyway. Yeah, on the happy hour crowd. I, I digress, yeah. Good one to bring back for sure. Anyway, let's let's talk about big picture. You know, what do you you know, city built over the last uh, you know, number of six years has gone through uh, you know, as as you've mentioned, a whole bunch of different phases. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you're now in this new phase that's you know, six or seven months old with a new director brewing and, uh, you know, and, and trying to take this approach and also, you know, but dealing with this weird year that has not panned out in the same way that people thought, like we didn't see the post pandemic bounce that everyone was predicting. And, and, uh, you know, this right. winter has been really quiet and it's, uh, you know, it's pushing a lot of, a lot of brewers in different directions. And some folks are deciding that, uh, you know, this is the time to leave the business and other folks are, you know, trying to you know pivot and just make things work, and uh, you know, as you go through this phase and in, in this next you know chapter for City Built, you know, what do you hope to achieve? What uh, where would you like to be in five years? What would you like City Built to be known for? And uh, you know, what's the ultimate vision for what City Built can be? Uh, yeah. So you talked about the uh, not the bounce back, and there's some industries that have, yeah, right? Yeah. But but beer is is. Uh, people's tastes are changing uh like there was a moment where i was like yeah we don't make whiskey or seltzer so we're screwed i mean i don't believe that but i mean that's where i feel people are so but now i think man people are done with seltzer for the most part unless it says truly or white claw and it comes in a sleek you know and i can get it by the 30 pack or whatever they come in and so our millennial office staff has gone through their seltzer phase and they're already over it right? right you know like there was a time two years ago where, you know, everyone, if we had leftover seltzer, you know, they, they would grab it and yeah. take the extra samples home. And now it's like, it's hard for us to even give it away. Like they've just gone through that and now they're, it's just, you know, it's just not as cool anymore. It's, it's wild how fast that went. Yeah. Yet, uh, now it's like, uh, canned cocktails, right? Everyone wants a long drink or whatever. And, and so, and we're, uh, my, manager's been arguing that I get a distiller's permit and I've been, I don't want to, but it's stupid to not. Yeah. And so I'm in the process of doing it. I don't want to be a distiller. Right. I'll be a blender. Sure. sure. You know? And, and so, uh, that's part of our plan. Um, we're in the process of completely changing our menu and going Creole, which I mentioned, uh, I'm excited to see, uh, what our chef is able to do. Uh, I can tell he's excited, which likely you get better stuff when someone's excited about what they're doing. And so, and he, he was already good. And so it's fun to see him flex in the kitchen. Uh, we're hoping to um, grow from, we've been doing like 600 barrels a year ish, uh, which had gr- like it grown from like three or 400. And then we had 2020, we had tons of momentum. <laughs> 2020 was shaping up into one of the like our best years yet. And then everything stopped. And so, um, my, my hope is to hit 1500 to 1700 barrels of beer this year. Uh, I I don't think I want to grow out of a, like a 5,000 barrel. I don't know that I want to be bigger than that. Right. Uh, I really want to serve my community. Um, we're very much engaged in, in a few different nonprofits, uh, in Grand Rapids. Uh, they tend to be associated with land or parks or schools. Um, I used to be a teacher. And so yeah. I have a heart for teachers and that their job is hard. Uh, I think, uh, and they don't always be, aren't necessarily compensated with for the care attention that they are give to our kids who are the next yeah. leaders, you know? And so, uh, 
we had a um, a party last year where we raised $28,000 or $27,000 for Grand Rapids School Foundation. Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to give more. Sure. Um, which I'm excited about our, our party this year, which is our anniversary party and, and for the benefit of them. And it's, we closed down a bridge. It's called Bridge Blast. Yeah. So um, I really want to become, you know, a better business right? entrepreneur. Patrick's really created an environment where there's a lot of, like, we can see, right? And so, man, what better decisions can we make that will right. help us uh, not be one of those breweries that goes up for sale, which there's a ton yeah. Uh, even locally, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, you hear the talk. And so it's just sad. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. there's family behind every one of those. Sure. Uh, those are, are, you know, bummer situations for people who had a dream and had to shift. And so, uh, I think that, uh, we want, we want responsible growth. I mean, I think every brewery my size had to grow this past couple year and a half. And I feel like we right sized, um, fortunate that we didn't have a bigger space because i was hungry to buy more but i we didn't yeah because i didn't want to build out this other space and also so i was like you know what let's just this is what fits let's do that and it it's not perfect but it's enough and so i i feel fortunate that that's how it worked i truly i think that was just kismet and, and good fortune yeah like i'm not that brilliant smart i mean <laughs> you know i try hard Smile a yeah. lot. Those are my two enduring qualities. Uh, but uh, a little bit of fear actually paid off in this regard. Then. Right. You know. Yeah. And yeah. so where I have, you know, we have friends that, man, they they had a four barrel system and now they have a 15 barrel system and 60 barrel firms. I'm like, where's that beer going? We don't have the benefit of being this brewery that's been in the market for a long time. So if you grew to hope to keep up with your tap room and yeah. now you're stuck with all this extra space and now you're trying to get into the market and you weren't necessarily there previous, yeah, man, that's a tough space to be in. Uh, and there's no way I'm going to compete w- with even Jason at Vivant and Broadleaf because he's so much more efficient because of what he built, how long he's been doing it for. And as we talked about on the podcast with him last week, you know, he's going through the same questions, having to right size the brewery and uh, getting rid of some of those 60 barrel tanks and getting 20s in so that, you know, because the idea of of brewing three turns into something that's going to go, you know, into each tank that's going to go out into production, like it's just not happening like that, you know, these days. Not right now. Yeah. So, so, um, Business side says, man, 2023 and maybe 2024 is going to be really hard. Yeah. And so we need to really think about how we can do more with less, which is what we're doing around here, which mm-hmm. is, man, it's sad to lose people. Um, we built this business to build bridges, right? If you look at our logo, there's a bridge on it. We yeah. want to be bridge builders. You want to con- be connective. And man, when you aren't, and instead you're creating division by saying, hey, it ain't, we don't have the hours and we really appreciate that this person does what we ask and you don't always. And so unfortunately you have to go, that's not a fun, you know, yeah. uh, we've made, uh, there's been certain things that have happened in, in my trajectory of being at city belt that I'm like, I'm really in the business now. Hmm. And then another thing happens. I'm like, Fuck, all right, I'm really in the business now, you know, and then this past year we, we lost a brewer. We lost uh, two salaried people. Uh, I mean, he was sad too, but just in the front of the house, uh, we lost two kitchen people who, I mean, we were, I mean, their jobs here is what supported their lifestyle. And man, that was, that sucked. You know, those are all people I cared about. 
And so, but how do I take care of the people that remain so that we can be here for when we grow? So some of those people might come. I mean, some of those people we were still already talking to. Um, and so my, my thought is we're in a good spot. Uh, it's been a hard 90 days. Uh, I'm excited that dry January is over. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have some events planned for February to celebrate Winter Beer Fest. Yeah. We do the official unofficial, uh, which is a party that we do the night before, and we invite all the brewers here. Um, we'll close down a street, put a tent in it. We have four bands, uh, which I'm excited about that. Yeah. We, we really have grown to uh, enjoy throwing parties. Uh, in 2020, when I basically became the sole manager of their partnership of taking over City Built, I wrote a business. I mean, I shared, here's my vision. Yeah. And this is what I'm going to do in 2020. And it was event-based sales. Well, what happened in 2020? <laughs> like, no event-based. There was no events. Yeah. I was barely yeah. a tap room. And so uh, in 2021, uh, we still had weird, we still had a weird uh, environment. And so we had this tent across the street. Can you be in the tent? Their sides down. Like we're kind of breaking the rules, but whose yeah. tent is that? That's not our land. And so we really kind of lived in the gray and we had a heater out there and like we were just banging all January, all February waiting. And then people, we could tell people want to be around. They aren't scared as yeah. they should be probably. And so we started doing summer beer, uh, not festivals, but music in the park. Uh, Friday Night Lives, we called them. And we did one and like 1,300 people showed up. And we're like, oh. Yeah. Pete, there's a there's a demand. And so we did a, we did basically eight of them that summer. And they weren't all 14. Like they basically went, that first one was like, that was the first show people had gone to in a long right, time. Right. And like I'm on stage thanking everyone for being there and I'm just watching people just hang all over each other. I'm like, oh, we're going to be like a Ooh, epicenter for yeah. COVID. And it didn't work. It didn't, it wasn't. Well, good. Okay. Uh, it was not. And so after that, it was more manageable. It was like five, 600 people. Uh, but at the end of the, at the end of the summer, like that was event based sales and how'd it work? Well, we had eight days where we did like $150,000 in sales. And I'm like, oh, it, that's how, that's the way. Yeah. And so uh, we're taking a break this year from that because the park is going to be under construction. Mm. Uh, they're redoing the entire park by establishing a tent across the street, which the which we paid for the tent, found some grants to help us pay for the tent during COVID. We established that people will show up. And so now as they work with this company to, to develop the park, uh, we got to say, so we got to be a contributor to what they're going to do. And we said, well, you know, that tent, we're probably going to lose it when it snows really hard. Uh, and it ha like we used to, I used to show up at one in the morning and shovel the, like, yeah, with like a, yeah. a roof rake. It was really like a, a long painter's pole with a squeegee at the end, trying to get the, the snow off the tent. And so what they, what they said is they're going to build a pavilion across the street where the tent used to yeah. be. Uh, they're removing the parking lot, which it used to have cars in it. And now it's just like our hangout area. Uh, and that's going to have a stage and 60 amp service. And like, they're going to bake a thing that'll help us. Yeah. Uh, less people to do the, the events. Like it's way less work. Sure, I sure. build a, I mean, I, I was building a stage every week. Yeah. It'll feel a lot uh, nicer to have all that infrastructure built right there to absolutely. bring people in and, uh, and turn it into a thing. And, you know, of course people love going to sit outside, watch some live music, drink there's, some beer. There's a river right there. You know, and the idea that you can actually, consume alcohol in some sort of way there and not feel like 
it's that typical, you know, open container restriction thing. I mean, it's the way, you know, you know, that's, I think one of the best outcomes of COVID is we realize that like people can safely consume alcohol without, uh, the government, you know, getting too freaked out about where we do it and how we do it. And, uh, yeah. you know, people can be responsible about this kind of thing. Agreed. Yeah. I think the, uh, the social district saved, it saved our, I mean, yeah. to a certain extent it, it saved us because yeah. we have 138 seats in our tap room. Uh, and typically we're not at capacity because we just have, we see less traffic. Sure. Uh, we, when we opened, we were always at capacity. However, in the summer, we have another 144 seats outside. Yeah. And there are days where I walk in the tap room and our servers look bored because there's no one in here. Yeah, they're all outside. And then, and then you look, you go in the kitchen and you <laughs> yeah. see there's tickets all the way down the rail, all the way to the ground. And like servers are bored and the kitchen's getting their butts whooped, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. we had to change that created a system. Right, we had right. to create a system. And so like uh, we're going to continue to lean into event-based sales. Uh, we find that's a good way for us to connect, not just with our community, um, the people who drink here, but with our community, our neighbors. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, my, you know, we have five or six businesses, restaurants that, and, yeah. and I always check in with them. Hey, how'd it go? Did you see people just, you know, were people drunk and jerks or whatever? And they're like, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. People leave you cause we don't, they aren't late. They're usually were done by 10 o'clock and then they are in this neighborhood, which this neighborhood historically has been uh, undeveloped, dead. Found, it was the next neighborhood to develop in terms of traffic. Yeah. And founders left. And it, it depressed. Huh. Founders went to the south side of town yeah. versus the north side. And uh, in that neighborhood, this neighborhood didn't develop. Instead, the west side developed, which is wild because the west side has been like dive bars, and yeah. which is great. That's where I hung out. And so now it's high rent. <laughs> which is wild. And so, uh, but this neighborhood is now developing. We actually just got a new um, building owner and they're, they're building a 16 story building behind us. They're building a parking ramp in the, what's now just a flat surface. Mm -hmm. And so they're investing in the neighborhood. Right, right. Uh, it's not spectrum health anymore, but this hospital just built a big bit. So our neighborhood is being populated. Bring more people to you. That's great. Exactly. That's great. And so yeah. all those barriers that keep people out, you got a river, big hill behind us and a highway that splits the city that keeps people in now yeah it's wild and so we have we have a really great neighborhood we're excited to be part of it and so in terms of of plans and goals we really just want to make enough beer to make money and keep us all fed uh we want to get yeah. uh we want to become masterful at our craft in terms of being a brewer or a business owner uh my general manager is like do you want to be a brewer at home or do you want to be a restaurant tour who gets to brew sometimes and i'm like yeah let's do that and so you know we've our focus has changed quite a bit as i've learned which is how life sure. works right it's pretty much the story of every business well keep building those bridges uh and i think that's a great place to bring this to a close gnd chillers has partnered with 3,000 plus breweries around the country and offers 24 7 service and support TNS Hop Oils gives your beer all the hop intensity with none of the extringency. AccuBrew gives brewers like you unprecedented insight into your fermentation process. ProBrew solutions are specifically designed to help you brew your beer. Old Orchard's Craft Concentrates have shipped to 46 states from right here in Beer City, USA. SS BrewTech has taken tech they invented working with industry vets and made them available to every craft brewer. PackTech handles are the sustainable solution to handle your craft beer. 
Berkeley Yeast's Thiol Boost is pure liquid thiol precursor to take tropics to the next level. If you've enjoyed this podcast and any others, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on that subscribe button, tell us uh, that what we do matters and that you, uh, and, you know, because we depend on your support to bring you conversations like this. Uh, Edwin, if people want to learn more about City Built, where do they find you guys? Uh, CityBuiltBrewing.com, on Facebook at City Built Brewing Company. Uh, and then on Instagram at City Built Brewing. Awesome. Find all the things you need to see or know. Fantastic. Well, it's been fun talking to you. Cheers. Appreciate your time. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew.